Let's commit our time to the Lord. Lord, we just thank you. Just glimpses of what it's going to be like someday in heaven to sing your praises together. Wow, we look forward to that. We thank you for the opportunity we've had. And we look forward to hearing from your word. I pray that you would just uh, use the words that you've given me to speak to those here. Lord, that we may boldly take your word to a world who needs it so much. And may it impact our lives that we would live for you every day. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks to the music team. I don't know if you were here for the first service, but uh, I would welcome you to join us next Sunday at 945 for the breaking of bread time. Because I don't know if you've noticed, for those that have been here every week, the spirit is just tying everything it said in the first service with the music and the sermons. It's, uh, it's been really special. And I invite you to join us for that if you uh, aren't here already. Well, if you remember the last time I spoke back in June, we talked about the idea of envy. And we looked that love was contrary to envy. And I thought, well, how could I follow up envy? What should I talk about? And contentment was the uh, idea that kept coming to my mind. And so I want to talk today about contentment. And to get us in the right frame of mind for that, I want to tell you a little story first. So this is a story called The Clock Thief. It's attributed to a man named uh, Scott Higgins. It says, once upon a time, there was a clock. uh, There was a rotund little man with dark, brooding eyes, and he was obsessed with collecting clocks. Now, the world is filled with limitless numbers of clocks. I mean, there's antique clocks, there's cuckoo clocks, digital clocks, uh, large clocks, small clocks. We've got a clock right here. All kinds of clocks. And our dark, rotund little man, he was obsessed with collecting as many clocks as he could. He would often go to garage sales or estate sales, and he'd look for old or forgotten clocks. And he'd peruse stores of, uh, shelves of stores looking for the latest clocks. By day, he thought about clocks. And by night, he dreamed about clocks. Exactly. But soon, he had so many clocks, he had to build a warehouse to hold them all. And each time he found a clock, his process would be the same. He'd take the clock, he'd pick it up, he'd feel all the contours of it, he'd watch it, he'd look at all the, all the intricacies of it, and listen for its tick. And then he would take it back to his warehouse. When he'd arrive at his warehouse, he'd quickly unlock the padlock. He had a super heavy-duty padlock around a barbed wire fence around his his, uh, warehouse of clocks. And then he would drive to the front door, and he'd look around. And he'd make sure that no one was there staring and, and that could see in on his precious collection of clocks. And only when he was sure no one was there, he'd quickly open the door and step inside. And he'd take his clock, and he'd carefully place it in its allocated place in the warehouse. But he was haunted every time he went to that clock warehouse. Because every time he would get to that front door and he was about to open it, he would hear a voice. And the voice would say, Hans of Sweden has more clocks than you. Jillian of Ireland has rarer clocks than you. If only you had another clock, then you'd be happy. And sometimes it was a little bit sinister. Is your clock warehouse safe? Someone might steal your clocks. And he was haunted by this. Whenever the whispering would start, he was sure he could see somebody standing right there. But as soon as he'd look, no one was there. Well, one day, upon coming to his clock warehouse with his latest treasure, he was delightfully surprised to find that there was no whispering. He didn't hear any whispering in his head this time. But his pleasant demeanor was quickly uh, vanquished 
when he opened the warehouse door. Because there, standing in front of him, was another person. A tall, wiry fellow with impish eyes. And he was holding the most beautiful antique cuckoo clock the clock collector had ever seen. It's one he had never seen before. And of course, he said, Who are you? Who's this person in front of him? Why, I'm a thief, came the reply. And with that, the man, tall white man, walked over, took this antique cuckoo clock and placed it on a shelf, gave it a quick dusting, and looked back at the clock collector and said, Oh, don't worry, it's not stolen, it's mine. It's my gift to you. Being a little bit puzzled, the clock collector looked and he thought, That voice sounds familiar. I know that voice. And then he thought, that's it. That's the voice I hear whispering every time I enter this place. And he looked at him and said, a thief? A thief? What kind of thief are you? A thief would be taking clocks out of my warehouse, not putting them in. And the man looked at him and says, oh, I haven't come to steal your clocks. You know my voice, don't you? And with that, he kind of leaned in closer to the clock collector and said, Hans of Sweden has more clocks than you. Jillian of Ireland has rarer clocks than you. If only you had another clock. Are your clocks safe in this warehouse? And he recognized that voice. He said, I've been here every time you've opened up your warehouse for clocks. I haven't come to steal your clocks, my friend. I've come to steal your contentment. Now, it's a quick little story. It's kind of a fun one. But it sets up what I'd like us to look at today. And that's the idea of contentment. And I would have us ask the question today, who or what is the contentment thief in our life today? We're going to look at several scriptures about contentment. But our main passage that we're going to go to is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. And if you would, if you've got your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. And let's read these verses together. Philippians 4, 10 to 13, read this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. As we look at contentment today, we're going to look at four things that I think we can pick out of these verses. We're going to look at the fact that contentment is learned. We're going to see that contentment is not dependent on circumstances. That the secret to contentment is found in God. And we're going to find that contentment is sourced inward and works outward. So as we look at contentment, let's first start with a definition. And it was interesting to me. I looked up uh, just the typical Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. And then I looked up the Wycliffe Bible uh, dictionary definition. Interesting contrast between the two definitions. They're on the screen. You can see that Merriam-Webster defines contentment as a state of happiness and satisfaction. Very quick, very simple definition. Wycliffe says contentment is the acceptance of things as they are, as the wise and loving providence of a God who knows what is good for us, who so loves us to always seek our good. 
Now, it's up there on the screen. Think about that definition again. Let me read it one more time and think about what it's telling us. Contentment is the acceptance of things as they are, as the wise and loving providence of a God who knows what is good for us, who so loves us to always seek our good. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to live my life under that second definition of contentment. That's where I want to be. So let's jump in. Let's look at contentment. And let's look at our first point. And it's the idea that contentment is learned. David Jeremiah put it this way. He said, don't confuse contentment with momentary satisfaction that things are working out the way you want or the way that you think they should be. Contentment is a state of being. It's not a state of doing. Our passage says, be content. It doesn't say do content. And we can be content. Look again at our, at our if you've got your Bible, look at again at verses 11 and 12 in our passage today. Twice in these verses, Paul says he has learned to be content. But I would tell you it takes effort on our part. If we're going to learn to be content, it's going to take some effort to do that learning. And how we learn this as a Christian is going to be a little bit different than the way the world is going to present contentment to us. The world's going to promote contentment to you probably in two ways. The first would be the more is better mentality. And that's the idea that you need more stuff. And the more stuff you have, the more content you're going to be. Advertisers would bombard us with this message every single day. You'll hear this thousands of times. The second way, which has become more popular, is the simple living method or mentality. And that's the idea of get rid of your stuff. And if you have less stuff, you'll be content. But having stuff or living with less stuff doesn't guarantee we're going to be content. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 12, 15. He said, then he, Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And again, look at our look at our text today. Look at verse 12 and what Paul says. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in living in plenty or in want. So this begs a question to us. If money can't buy us contentment and poverty or living with less doesn't guarantee our contentment, what is contentment? and How do we learn it? Well, since money is probably the most commonly uh, associated thing with contentment, let's draw a couple lessons from the financial world first. Crown Financial Ministries, a Christian financial ministry group, they would tell you that, uh, uh, that in today's society that it's not normal to step down. In other words, when a certain level of financial uh, level has, or spending or lifestyle, when all those things are reached, that people will never go down from that. Matter of fact, they'll go into debt or they'll go into extreme debt in order to hang on to that lifestyle. It's stepping down to a different lifestyle, to a, a lifestyle of, of uh, living where uh, we should, an affordable level, is considered failure in society. Yet contentment, they would tell us, can't be achieved without some personal discipline. And so here's a few ideas from Crown Financial Ministries from the financial world of how they would say that we can learn contentment from a financial standpoint. First, they would tell us to establish a reasonable standard of living on whatever level God has placed you. Live within the economic parameters established and supplied by him. They, they quoted, just having an abundance is not a sign of God's blessings. 
Satan can easily duplicate the world's riches. But God's abundance is without sorrow. And it's for the purpose of bringing others to Christ. They want to say that we should establish a habit of giving. That God desires for all of us as Christians to help meet the needs of others through gifts and through um, personal involvement in people's lives. That we need to establish that habit of giving. And third, that we should establish priorities. Too often as a Christian, how many times do we tend to look at what we don't have? And we focus on what we don't have. And we find discontentment in our lives because we're not looking at what we do have. They would tell us to establish priorities and look at the things that God has provided for us and and be content in those. And then fourth, they would tell us to develop a thankful attitude. And this is an amazing one because the idea of contentment, it's, it's almost impossible if you think about it to think that anyone in America would think God has failed America materially. Uh, we are extremely blessed in this nation. But that attitude that we just, we aren't given enough and we don't have enough, it only comes when we listen to Satan's lies about that. But that we need to find contentment and we need to find the primary defense against that. And it's having a thankful attitude and giving praise to God. Now, those are some ideas from the financial world, and they're great ideas that, that we can all put into practice. But let's go back to our text today. And as you remember, we said that contentment is learned. And in our text today, when it says learn, when Paul says, I learned to be content, he learned it was learned by experience. Paul had to go through many difficulties and many difficult circumstances in his life to learn to be contentment. And as a Christian, that's one of the promises we're told is that we're going to have tribulations in this world when we're living for Christ. We're going to face struggles. We're going to face trials in this life. That's why we need to learn to have contentment. And it doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain. And it doesn't mean that we don't uh, or that we do try to like, just muscle our way through it or ignore it. If we do that, we're going to miss the lesson of contentment in Christ. And we need to capture that in our lives. There's a, a lady, her name's Melissa Kruger, uh, and through Ligonier Ministries, she put out a video sermon uh, series on contentment. And in fact, it's a ladies uh, Bible study series, and it's excellent. If you, I'll give you, that'll be my, my uh, offer to you today. If you want to go research something else afterward, take a look at this video series on contentment. Uh, it's really, really good. She put it this way. Life may not seem fair. I'm talking about contentment. Life may not seem fair, but it's not fair Because it's all slanted in my favor. I deserve death. But God paid the price. And we get life. And we get God working in all things for our good. To be like Jesus. And learning who we are. And what we have in Jesus. That's how we learn to be content. And that leads us to our second point today. The fact that contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. Contentment can be an elusive pursuit. Many times we go after what we think is going to bring us contentment. And we try and try and try really hard. But a lot of times we find we were better off even before we started. And it, may, it can be very elusive to find in our life. kind of reminds me of the story. There's a story of two teardrops that are floating down the river of life. One teardrop looks at the other one and says, who are you? And the teardrop says, I'm the teardrop of a lady who loved a man and lost him. And she said, who are you? The other teardrop said, I'm a teardrop from a lady that got him. (laughs) Now, many people think that if our circumstances would just be perfect and if everything would fall into place 
and be just the way we want it, that we would be content. But perfect environment and perfect circumstances don't guarantee contentment in our lives. Again, uh, Melissa Kruger put it this way. If we ever believe that perfect circumstances will lead to perfect contentment, look no further than Eve. Eve was in the Garden of Eden when there was no sin. She was in the perfect environment, but she was deceived by Satan and sinned. She wasn't content to live under the rules that God had established. And she broke those rules and sinned and ruined that perfect environment. And we need to learn the same thing. We shouldn't be expecting our circumstances to lead to our contentment. It reminds me also of a story of a pilot. He would fly over, and every time he would fly over the certain area of the Appalachian Mountains, he'd always just look down at one spot. And one day his co-pilot said, okay, what is so special about that spot? You look at it every time we fly over. And the pilot looked at him and said, do you see that river down there, that stream? He said, yeah. And he said, when I was a kid, I'd sit on a log and I would fish on that, in that stream. And every time I would see a plane go by, I would look up and I would wish that I were flying. He said, now every time I fly over that spot, I look down and I wish I were fishing. <laughs> Circumstances change. We need to realize that. And looking at our passage again today in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 13, we saw that Paul, he could do all these things through Christ who strengthens him. See, Paul wasn't a victim of his circumstances. He was a victor over his circumstances. John MacArthur put it this way. Those who live only for themselves will never be content because contentment for them can come only when their circumstances are exactly as they want them to be. And that will never happen. He goes on to say we need to learn to live above life's circumstances. Similar thought is found in 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, where Paul wrote this. Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul knew that circumstances did not dictate his contentment. Paul didn't enjoy the pain itself, but what he enjoyed was the fact that Christ's power was manifested in him through all those times of reproach and distress and infirmity. And we need to learn the same thing in our lives, that it's not our circumstances. We need to take pleasure in the power of Christ in us during those times that we face trial. And we do this through spiritual maturity and we learn to live above life's circumstances. But this takes effort, as we said in our first point. It's a learned thing, and it takes a lot of effort to do that, to learn to live above life's circumstances. There was a, actually, just show you this, this thought has been going on for decades or centuries. There's a uh, Puritan uh, preacher named Jeremiah Burroughs, and he was in the 1600s. And he wrote a book in the 1600s called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. So this is nothing new that we struggle with this today. It's, it's been going on a long time. But he brings out some uh, in, interesting points on contentment and learning to live above life's circumstances for our contentment. Here's a couple of them. We'll have, well, I think we'll have them on the screen. Contentment doesn't mean you're not allowed to cry out to God and to your friends in Christ. It's only by crying out to God that we find contentment. God's going to give us contentment through conformity with himself. 
He went on to say that contentment doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to end your suffering. You should certainly, you should certainly seek every lawful and God-honoring way to alleviate uh, you know, pain or suffering in your life. But the contentment does mean that you shouldn't grumble against God's good hand. If you're content, you'll remember that God himself has a hand in your suffering and he's trying to conform you into the image of his son. And that's for your best. Consentment means that you shouldn't become bitter or angrily lash out at God or others. God calls you to quietly accept his loving fatherly rod of discipline. He calls you to contentment for your own good. Burroughs went on to say contentment doesn't try to get relief from its pain through sin. And how many times do people do that? We tend to think, oh, well, sin seems like a great way to go. And and we, we tend to fall into sin as a human nature. But that's not God calls us to be beyond that, to live the way he would have us and avoid sin and flee from that. And finally, Burroughs said that contentment means you're not distracted from your God given duties. See, a lot of times you'll find the people that maybe are feeling discontented or going through something. They tend to pull back. And it's probably the last thing they should do. They'll pull back from family responsibilities or from job responsibilities or responsibilities at the church. But sometimes it's through that disciplined approach to life and continuing to focus on the Lord and do what he has called you to do that we find contentment. So as we're seeing, contentment isn't dependent on our circumstances, but it's dependent on the assurance of inward assurance we have of God's sovereignty. And that leads us to our third point. That the secret of contentment, as it told us, and I believe it was verse 12, is found in God. See, as a Christian, we're not sufficient in ourselves. We're only sufficient in Christ. When we're discontent, we need to focus on God's providence. And think about God's providence. Think about that word providence and what it means. God's providence. Providence comes, it's a Latin word, comes from two, two Latin words. Pro, meaning before, and video, meaning to see. So in other words, to see before, see beforehand. And sometimes we tend to think of God's providence of just, well, he knows what's going to happen in the future. But it's so much more than that. God's providence is so much deeper than that. It's the idea that uh, Paul told us in Romans 8.28 when he said, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And the idea of good in, that, in those verses isn't earthly comfort. It's conformity with God. It's being conformed with God. Matter of fact, if you go back and uh, if you want to later on, go back and read Romans 8. And if you want to cut short a little bit, start at verse 19. And you'll find an interesting contrast because in verse 19, 19 through like 25, you're going to find words like suffering, longing, bondage, corruption and groaning. All these things that Paul's talking about. And those are things that can lead to discontentment. But then he gets to verse 26 in Romans 8. And he says, the spirit helps us and intercedes for us according to the will of God. And it's when we have that assurance that then he goes on to tell us that all things work together for good. To conformity with God, that we can be conformed with God. But notice also that it says it's for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is for us. This is for us as Christian, these promises. And when we're feeling discontent, we need to hold on to that and we need to remember these things. Now, the opposite of finding contentment in God is the way the world would go about it. 
And the world would look at contentment and, and they would look at it from a humanistic uh, premise to start off with. And that would be the fact that they probably believe that God doesn't exist. And if you believe that God doesn't exist and you start from that humanistic premise, then your ultimate goal is yourself and having your own needs met. And I'd say today, especially in our society, there's a great blurring of the idea between needs and wants, isn't there? Everything is a need. I mean, go listen to the advertisement you're going to hear. I mean, we're going to get bombarded with advertising all day long. Listen to what they say. How many times are you going to hear, you need this? Or how many times you hear, you deserve this? Uh, you, you have to have this, like the infomercials. But there's, a, there's nothing in it. It's, it's kind of like it reminds me of a hamster. You know, like the hamsters running those little cages with little, little uh, wheels going around, spinning around and around and around. And they're running after something, but they never get there. And we, when we try to just meet our own needs, contentment's always going to be elusive. It's going to be like being like that hamster on a wheel. You'll never get there. It's always going to be just out of your reach. But as it says in the West, Westminster Catechism, the chief end of man is not to have his needs met, but to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or as it says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's where we're going to find contentment. And from our passage today, Paul's words, he told us he learned the secret of being content. And it was through Christ. We need to focus on the Lord as our sovereign, as our savior, as our sufficient one. And we trust in his strength to accomplish his will in our lives. This is a, a tremendous point when I mean, we focus on the fact that it, it's all about God. Let me give you two more scriptures just to kind of back up this point. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. It's our hearts. It's our mind. The idea is it's our whole being that we're focusing on the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians four seventeen, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Why do we find contentment? Because the eternal glory we have far outweighs anything on this earth. Stephen Cole on Bible.org put it this way. The key to this process of contentment is understanding that everything, major and minor, is under God's sovereignty. If you're walking with God and you find yourself in a desperate situation, you can know that you are not there by chance. The sovereign God has put you there for training and faith that you might share in his holiness. If our focus is on our Savior, if it's on our Lord and doing what he has called us to do, we're going to find contentment. That's where we're going to learn that contentment. But please also note the scripture tells us God's going to meet our needs, not our greeds. And that's something we have to be careful of, especially when we're getting bombarded with those messages every day. And we've got to learn to rely on God's provision. Again, in verse 13 in our passage today in Philippians 4, I can do all this. Through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus himself told us he'll never leave us or forsake us. And like Paul, we need to learn to rely on God's promises. He faithfully gives every believer what we need in every situation. He strengthens us. And he's the one that provides and offers provision from his own hand. But notice it's also a promise for those who live lives of obedience to God. It's a promise but we have to live our life for the Lord. Contentment is found in God. And let's jump now to our fourth point. 
Contentment is sourced inward and it works outward. This again comes from Melissa Kruger's video series on contentment. And the idea is that our inward contentment is outwardly apparent. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he gave us the pattern of victory. And it was scripture. We've got to be in the word daily. But it's more than just being in it daily. We've got to believe it and we've got to live it. It's what Dan was talking about at the breaking of bread this morning. It's not just academic knowledge that we need. It's faith and walking in the Lord and applying that scripture in our life. It's letting that light burst forth, as he mentioned this morning. And we've got to remember that it starts inwardly. It starts with the power of Christ in us and knowing and walking in his power. We talked about this a couple weeks ago at the breaking bread in Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. Listen again to what those words say. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. That's where that inward assurance starts. And we can have that power and we can have that patience and joy. We can have that contentment. Again, another scripture. Listen to Colossians 1, uh, 10 through 12. So that, why do we do this? So that your life may be, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Going along with our theme this morning. And realize we do have the power to live for Christ every day. Second Peter 1.3 tells us his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. And the world may tell you there's other options, but there is only one power source that we can get this from. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The people who live like this, the people who live a life when the world expects bitterness and anger and discontentment, the people who live and know that inward contentment and the world sees that outward, uh, that it's apparently outward, that they have a godly contentment in their lives. Uh, Ms. Kruger had actually called them spectacles of glory. An interesting term she had for them. And she gave the example of uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who had a diving accident as, as a teenager and was paralyzed. And where the world expected bitterness and anger, she found contentment with the Lord. And God has used her in an incredible way, and many people have come to the Lord because of the uh, testimony that she's had. Spectacles of glory. But how about some of the uh, examples we might know? How about Nate Bramson? He spoke here at First Colony Bible Chapel back in February. And if you remember, he had an incredible ministry. I mean, he does incredible things. Uh, and I think I remember it because I think he was standing right in front of me when he said it. And remember, he was walking up and down the aisles. But he had an incredible missions ministry on there. But if you remember what he said, he was diagnosed with cancer. And where the world would expect bitterness and anger, what did he say? He saw it as an opportunity 
He was going to tell everybody that treated him about the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Incredible. Or how about Jerry Maddox? He spoke here two weeks ago. He was falsely accused and kicked out of the country of Turkey. But he was content to let the Lord work. And what did the Lord do? The Lord moved him to Cyprus. And we heard about the incredible things. The, the TV ministry he's got now. The ministry to the Yazidi girls. Uh, the, um, the coffee shop ministry. Their church is now opening up and in, in reaching folks in Cyprus. God's blessed him. And now he actually can go back into Turkey even. But he was content to follow what the Lord had. And that contentment led to even greater things for God's purpose. And what about your parents or your Sunday school teachers? They probably had plenty of things they could have done with their time, but they took the time to be content to study or to love us and to tell us about the Lord and to teach us about that and how we can live a life worthy of the Lord and that we can have salvation in our hearts. And if I were to say, hey, fill in the blank. If I challenge you to fill in the blank of a name of somebody that you could think of, that's that spectacle of glory that lives with godly contentment that's outwardly apparent. You could probably fill it in and as you filled in that name, you would probably hear at the end, end of every one of those stories. And that led me to a chance to tell somebody else about salvation in Jesus Christ. Those are the people. Let's be those people. Let's be those spectacles of glory. Let's have that inward knowledge of the Lord. Let's have that inward contentment that's outwardly apparent in our lives. That we can then tell others about the hope that's within us. About salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to ask the... Uh, music team to go ahead and come on up. But I want to close with this. Did you know that every year the United Nations puts on a list of the happiest places on earth, the happiest uh, countries on earth. They'll do it by country. And they measure happiness on external factors, things such as income, health, life expectancy, freedom, trust in the government, things like that and more. And it's interesting that every year Finland, Denmark and Norway are always the top three. Those, those three countries, those Scandinavian countries, are always the, at the top of the list. They, they switch back and forth between one through three. But it's interesting because there's a uh, Christian financial planner. His name is uh, Gisle Sorley. And he is a Norwegian, and I'm hoping I pronounce his name right there. Uh, but he put it this way when, it, when asked about this U.N. study. He said, I expect the U.N. will continue to measure happiness based on external factors. But a far more profound survey would ask, not what you have, but who has you? Do you know true contentment because Jesus has you? He concluded, my Norwegian countrymen may have a lot to be happy about, but happiness is overrated. As for me, although I'm still a work in progress, I choose the joy of contentment. And I'll go back to our beginning, our story at the beginning. Who or what is the contentment thief in our life today? Will you let your contentment be stolen? Or will you choose the joy of contentment? Contentment that is learned, that's not dependent on your circumstances, that's founded in God, and that's sourced inward and is outwardly apparent to this world. That's the contentment we want. Let's pray. Lord, we just uh, thank you. We thank you for the time we've had this morning just to look at your word, to see the richness of it. And Lord, help us to be content. Help us to live our lives, to let our contentment be grounded in you. And Lord, where the world would say you shouldn't be content or you should be angry or bitter. Lord, may your love flow forth. May that light shine from us, that we would be those spectacles of glory and that our contentment would be apparent to the world 
that they would want to hear it and know more about you. And Lord, may your name be praised and may your kingdom grow through our contentment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.